It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us at Grace, we're thrilled that you're here today and um, hope you uh, have come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ because that's why we gather uh, together every week. I hope you've been uh, reading through the Gospel of John. And uh, it's really a good discipline, I think, for us as a church to read through it together. And if uh, last week, if you weren't here last week, um, I kind of issued a challenge for us as a church, a 21-day challenge to read through the Gospel of John. The good part is this. If you weren't here last week and you knew nothing about it, you can start today. And um, there's still more than 21 days left in the month of May. And um, it's always good to be able to discuss God's Word uh, together and so I encourage you to to take that opportunity and the wonderful part about grace is that if you missed yesterday you can catch up today right so um, I encourage you to keep doing that uh, this morning uh, I just wanted to um, give you an opportunity to view a video uh, the selves remember Jordan and Hannah they'll be with us soon and uh, I asked them to put together just a little video uh, presentation to kind of show us what's going on with them and just to kind of keep it in front of us that Jordan is coming and uh, Hannah and the kids they're bringing the kids too so um, uh, let's just view that video right now man if we could are you ready to go Alabama? go Alabama Um, but we look forward to Jordan in hand and the kids being with us and uh, anticipate uh, what the Lord's going to do through Jordan and Hannah and the family as we continue uh, to minister here at Grace uh, Community Church. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 5 and we want to read um, just a reminder for us in terms of walking by the Spirit uh, how that looks. Um, I think this is a, I mean, to, you know, sometimes when you're trying to rate, like, how important is a passage, I mean, all of the scripture is important, but for our walk each day, I think these verses are really critical. In fact, I was talking to a, uh, someone this morning, we were actually talking through this passage, and it was just a good reminder of um, the expectations that God has for us to walk by the Spirit, not carry out the lust of the flesh. 
that what he wants to see produced in us is the fruit of the Spirit. And that's produced as we're walking by the Spirit. And the fruit is what people need to see. And do you know the fruit there in the Greek is singular? It's singular. So if I'm walking by the Spirit, all those things are going to be seen in my life. That's the fruit that people need to see, that we're different. We handle things different. Uh, we, just for one example, I mean, we handle the death of a believer different than unbelievers handle death. And so walking by the Spirit, yeah, that's something people are going to see uh, in us as born-again believers. But we need the reminder to walk by the Spirit. That's the responsibility that we have. And so I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read um, these verses together uh, this morning. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. In other words, they're clearly seen. Which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing. That's quite a list, isn't it? And things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you. Notice that. He's already told them about this. That those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a better list, is it not? Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another envying one another. How many of you would say this morning that living the Christian life is difficult? Okay, good, because it is. And I would say this, it's impossible to live it to the glory of God without being under the control and influence of the Spirit of God. So every day we get up, Holy Spirit, control me. That's what the body needs to see, and that's the witness and testimony to the world. Let's pray together. Wow, Lord, what a reminder this morning that you desire that we would walk by the Spirit so that we would not carry out the lust of the flesh. As we read that first list, we look in our world and we're like, whoa, there, <laughs> that's, that's our world. But you desire, Lord, that the believer walk in obedience, that the believer be different, 
that the believer be controlled by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, so that there can be the evidence demonstrated by the fruit of the Spirit. And we want, Lord, to please you, and I pray that's our heart and that's our mind, that we want to please the one who saved us, the one who bought us. And Lord, I'm just so thankful this morning to know that your spirit is the one that helps us through, that your word tells us you will never leave us or never forsake us. And so I pray that we would rest on that, that we would truly each day desire to be controlled by your spirit. I pray this morning is pleasing to you in everything that we do and that the Lord Jesus Christ receives all the glory and honor that's due his name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
like we serve an awesome God this morning and a great God. Thank you for your worship.
these days I'm going to get me a pulpit and it's going to have a cup holder <laughs> you know they have those in theaters now I don't go to theaters much but I won a gift card yesterday a golf tournament I put it in my front pocket this morning and give it to my wife because I really don't know what to do with it it's an AMC gift card. You know what that is? 
I didn't either. It's a movie, apparently. Movie theater. I'll take 50 bucks for it. <laughs> it's for, you know, we'd have a fundraiser yesterday, the golf tournament for a kids camp. And so uh, it was really good. The Lord held off the rain uh, to the very end. It started raining on us about, I guess it was whole 18. But, you know, as I was praying yesterday at the golf tournament fundraiser for the kids, I was reminded that, you know, golf's a fun game. Some people like it, some people don't find one way or the other. But, you know, the camp's for the kids. And, it, and it's an opportunity to introduce and reintroduce the gospel of Jesus Christ to these children. And um, so it's a great opportunity. I thank Andrea for all her work and what she does here at uh, Grace. She does a tremendous job with our children. Wednesday night, we had our Awana, our first um, derby. Awana derby car. Next year, I'm racing. Um, we had some really good cars. Kids had a great time. And I think the adults were having just as much fun as the kids. So, all right. Enough of that. I wanted to start out this morning in a little different place. I do want you to turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. We'll be there. We're going to finish the first chapter today. Hey, woo-woo. So, um, but I ran across um, something in a book that I'm reading by Theodore Epp um, entitled The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And um, it just spurred my thinking, and, and I thought, well, I'm going to share this with, with the guys this morning. Um, and... It, it, indirectly, it, it points to Jonah and the rest of the Word of God, but um, I wanted to read something before. Um, it's fine, you can leave it up there. Listen to this story, it's pretty awesome, about how the Lord works when people are um, really set apart to, to do what the Lord wants and, and don't allow um, things like money to get in the way. In April 1939, a young preacher from Oklahoma approached the managers of two Midwest radio stations. Theodore Epp later admitted he was quite afraid when he entered that Lincoln, Nebraska office. However, he boldly stated, we note that you have everything in your broadcast that people want except something from the heart. He asked for that opportunity to remedy that. And naturally, the managers wondered how the program would be financed. I love this. Um, Epp at the time only had $65. Of course, 1939, that decent amount. The pastor replied that the same partner who had underwritten the, his ministry cost for the last 12 years would handle the broadcast expenses. Do you know who that was? The Lord. Epp had gone in in expecting to buy a 30-minute daily slot. Instead, he was offered a daily 15 minutes at $4.50 a program. He accepted. And on May 1st, 1939, Back to the Bible aired for the first time. I didn't know that story. I started reading this book, and I was like, I want to know who this guy is. You talk about a man who stepped out on faith, knew what God wanted from him and just said, I'm not going to let anything get in my way. 
I'm going to obey what the Lord has shown me. Um, it says, many notable Christians have been associated with Back to the Bible, including, including Elizabeth Elliot and Warren Wearsby. Um, it says, Theodore, Theodore Epps' vision lives on uh, today in the 21st century and um, is heard in 22 languages around the world. I was just encouraged by that. I thought, well, I'm going to share it with you guys this morning. Which led me, as I was reading through the first chapter of his book, he, he said this, it is not enough just to know information about the Bible. I mean, my goodness, the world knows information about the Bible, right? He says, we must relate the Word of God to our lives, right? How does that work out in our lives? Even more than that, we must relate the eternal God to our lives, the eternal God. And so it, 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 it prodded me to think, that how well do you know the eternal God? And you know, the only way that you're going to get to know the eternal God better is to be disciplined in your reading and studying of God's Word. That's the only way. I mean, it's, that's the only way it's going to happen. And there ought to be, if you're born again, a desire to be in the Word of God on a regular basis. And we're all in that same boat where sometimes our priorities are exactly where they need to be. And yet, we struggle to get in the book. I encourage us that we would do that so we get to know the eternal God better. He goes on to write, One of the many blessings I have received from the Word of God is the realization that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God I serve. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> same God is the God you and I serve and so I challenge you um, get in the gospel of John go through that 21 days and you know what's going to happen to you I had a professor in college uh, Peter Held who said if you did something for 21 days it would become a habit well, I don't know I mean you put on deodorant every day right hopefully 21 days straight hopefully you're continuing to do that and young people little boys especially find deodorant ask your parents for it they'll give it to you we certainly want our children to understand the importance of that, don't we? All right, well, this morning we want to continue our study in Jonah. So Jonah chapter 1, and we're just going to look at, at one verse as we wrap up the chapter. What you're going to find is the statement of fact is given to us in verse 17 about what happened to Jonah when he was tossed over, when he was thrown over into the water. But chapter 2 is going to tell us and reveal to us what happened to him as he was in that water, what went on? Um, so, but it's very important to understand uh, 117 because 117 through 210 is kind of a section. And in 117, we start with the fish, and in 217, we start with the fish, but that's just the surface. Underneath it is the Lord, right? That's the depth. It's like the, running through the book of Jonah, on the surface is the person Jonah, but underneath, is the Lord. Don't forget that. I mean, that's why I have, come on, Thad, that's why I have this picture here. It's a big, and you see that scratch through fish story? It's a God story. That's what it is. On the surface, it's Jonah, but under the depths, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. 
And the things that he does with Jonah, as we're going to see today, are just amazing when we think about who we serve. Um, how many of you, when you were younger, read this story and thought that the fish was disciplined? <laughs> I might have done that when I was a kid. Thought, well, the Jonah being swallowed by, as I was told, the well, but in the Hebrew, that's not the term. The term here is fish, big fish. It's not the well. Okay? He doesn't use the Hebrew term here for well. So whatever kind of fish it was, um, the, the issue is that God himself was demonstrating in the life of Jonah grace and mercy. And that's what we're going to see today, grace and mercy, just like he does in our lives. Because I think sometimes we can look at characters in Scripture and go, you messed up. But you know what, guys? We mess up. We sin. And God is merciful and he's gracious to us, even in the midst of disobedience. And this man is in the midst of disobedience. Um, I want us to see, first of all, and this is the way I outlined it, we're going to... There's really two points, and we're only going to do one today because the next one takes us into Jonah's prayer. But this morning, we're going to look at the Lord's provision. The Lord's provision. Let's read Jonah 1.17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach or belly of the fish three days and three nights. Wow, right? You read that and you go, wow. One of the people, I mean, do you have a list of people you want to talk to when you get to heaven and what order have you put them? You're like, man, Jonah, that'd be a good conversation. Hey, Jonah, what was it like? Um, the first point underneath the Lord's provision is that the Lord's fish was for Jonah. The Bible tells us, look at the verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. You know what the word appointed means in the Hebrew? Appoint. He appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. The Hebrew word here, like I said a minute ago, well is not used. We don't know the species of fish. We don't know that. Now people have guessed, and you can go online and you can read all the different thoughts. Some believe it was the sperm well, right? Because it's a big well capable of swallowing, was capable of swallowing um, a man. Um, and then some believe that, well, it was a great white shark. Well, all right. In fact, in 1939, a great white shark was recovered. It was 15 foot long. And do you know inside the, the belly or stomach of that great white were two six-foot-long sharks. Well, you know what? I don't think it's important what species of fish it was. If that was important, it would have been included. But that's not the point. The point is the Lord's provision. That's what I believe the point is. Um, this fish was specifically for Jonah. Um, the second thing under there is the creator of the fish is known. While we don't know the species of fish, we know the creator of fish, plural. We know who created. The Bible tells us, does it not? In Genesis, 
God is the God of all creation, including the fish, right? I don't know what kind of fish it was, but I know who the creator of the fish is, and that's the Lord. You know, whatever fish it was, the Lord of all creation communicated with that fish, and you know what that fish did? Obeyed its maker. I'm like, man, this is... This, these are things like past finding. Now, have you ever communicated with a fish? Jump in my net or jump on my line. But the God of all creation communicates with his creation. And it made me think that there is no one like the Lord. There is no one like him. But the Bible also tells us here that while we don't know the species, we know the creator... Thirdly, it tells us he swallowed up Jonah. That's the idea of the word there. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Um, the word swallowed in the Greek means to swallow. I mean, in the Hebrew means to swallow. There are several examples of the word, though. It means to take in completely. Um, so I did a little research on the word swallow because I thought that's pretty interesting. Um, word in the Hebrew... And there are other occasions where the term swallowed is used. Um, even in relationship to man, but in a different context. The first one is found in, that I found is in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 12. You remember the context of Exodus 15? The children of Israel coming out of, out of Egypt. They've been delivered from the bondage of the Egyptians. And they're crossing the Red Sea. And what does the Lord do for the people of Israel? What does he do? He parts the sea. And they walk through the sea on dry land. But there's the rest of the story there. Notice what Exodus 15, 12 says. In talking about the Egyptians and the horses that followed, he says, Thou didst stretch out thy right hand, and the earth, what? Swallowed them. Same term that's used in the book of Jonah in chapter 1. And then another incident is it found in Numbers 16, 31 and 32 um, in the context of the rebellion of Korah. If you, ever, you guys need to, I'm giving you assignments today. You need to go and read through Numbers 16 to kind of familiarize yourself. You'll have to go back to the beginning of the, of the chapter. But it's the same Hebrew word here. It says, then it came about as he finished speaking all these words that the ground that was under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. But look at this. And their households. The Lord does discipline. And their households. And all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. Swallowed them up. You know I got to thinking. Those who reject Christ. They're going to be swallowed up. An eternal separation from God. And do you know, as I was reading through that, I thought, look in the rebellion of Korah. Not only were they swallowed up, but their households and all they owned. And you think about how much stock man puts in what they have. And one day, what does the Bible tell us in relationship to the, to the end time, right before, right before um, the new heaven and new earth, what's going to happen? It's all going to what? It's going to burn up? Burn up? It's all going to burn up. 
I like um, this theologian who wrote this. I don't know who he was. He wrote this, God appointed a great fish to be at the right place at the right time. That's the kind of God we serve, by the way. At the right place, at the right time, to swallow Jonah just the right way. He would remain in the belly of the fish for three days and nights, foreshadowing one who would remain in the cavern of death and rise on the third day. And who is that? Jesus Christ. So I think there's a couple things for us to consider here. First of all, God controls not only the sea, but all that is in it. God is in control. How many of you here this morning believe that God is in control of his creation? He's in control. It looks like that Jonah, in the middle of the Mediterranean, was going to die. Do you know, those sailors, once they tossed him over, they didn't throw out a life preserver to this man. But you know what? The Lord wasn't finished with this man. And I think it's an important lesson for us Listen, every single one in this room today, the Bible tells us it's been appointed unto man once to what? Die. And then the judgment. But until he comes, we have a mission. And you know what? Sometimes our missions are sidetracked. We may not be swallowed by a big fish, but we may be swallowed by life. In some form or fashion, we may have a rebellious child in our home. Our finances may look like, wow. And it literally is, these problems are swallowing us up. But we have to remember, God is in control. He's in control. It's a great lesson for us. And it's one that I don't think is taught enough. God controls He's the one in control of all things. Second lesson I think here for us is God's provision for Jonah is a reminder, a great reminder of his grace and mercy. Some may look at Jonah being swallowed by this fish as discipline. You know what it is? It's just flat out mercy and grace. That's what it is. (laughs) That's what it is. You think about how many examples could you list from Scripture where you're going, man, God, you should have struck them down. They deserved it. And there's grace and there's mercy. My friends, listen to me. The Lord is gracious and he's merciful. There's, it's important to understand the difference between these two words, though. I thought this would be a good time to kind of talk about that. Grace says he, being Jonah, got what he didn't deserve. He got what he didn't deserve. He got a big fish. That's what he got. Mercy says 
Jonah did not get what he deserved. (laughs) Now think about that as it relates to salvation. Think about those two words as it relates to salvation. And this is a very important doctrine. As this relates to salvation, as it relates to grace, I get Christ and heaven and eternity with him and I can't earn that. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. I didn't labor for it. The Bible talks about what? Grace, which means what? Undeserved favor. And so I sit in my seat this morning as a believer in Christ, and I'm thankful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for grace. He did not get what he deserved. You know, I deserve hell, but I'm not getting hell. Every one of us in this room deserves hell. But if you're in Christ today, you can be thankful you're not going to get it. Mercy says Jonah did not get what he deserved. Now as that relates to salvation, I'm not getting what I deserve. What do I deserve? I'll tell you what I deserve. Romans is clear about it. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of, we're all guilty. And those in this life today who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be eternally separated from him forever. Mercy says, I won't be eternally separated from my Lord forever because of grace. So it's very important to understand that, that when we look at this, this incredible story of Jonah, that we see the mercy and the grace that the Lord had in the life of this man. Um, there wasn't a life preserver, there was a big fish. <laughs> All right. We move on to the second point in this, and this deals with the last part of verse 17. He says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Whoa. So this prophet, who was told to go to Nineveh and cry out against wickedness, said to the Lord God, no thank you. And he went the other way. He's going to Tarsh. He's willing to pay a fare to go there to get away from going to those people that God had called him to who were enemies. And so he ends up on this ship and it's breaking apart. And God graciously introduces those sailors of that ship to himself. They realize that Jonah is the problem. Jonah admits he's the problem. He tells them what to do. And remarkably, they're still trying to row and save his life. And then they eventually toss him over. And the Lord, my friends takes care of his prophet. He preserves his life. The Lord's preservation was in the belly of the fish. The prophet's room was there. What must that have been like? To be in the belly of a fish. To have that junk all over you. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Nasty. Somebody said gross, nasty. 
I read a whole bunch about survival in the belly of the fish this week. So I posed the question, how did the prophet survive in the belly of the fish? Real simple answer, the Lord. You get that? The Lord. The Lord is the one that protected Jonah in the belly of the fish. Some would say, well, how did he breathe? The Lord's got that covered. The Lord preserved his prophet because, why? He had a mission for his prophet. And Jonah was going to be the one, and this is a very important point, it wasn't going to be anyone but Jonah. Because God said, you're the man. You're the one. You're the one that's going to go to Nineveh and cry out against their wickedness. Guys, have you ever had the experience of um, resisting when the Lord shows you, hey, this is what you need to do? Any of you ever resisted that? That happened in your life? It's happened in my life on a few occasions where I have resisted. I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't want to do that. Right? Jonah made a decision. I don't want to do that. And yet, the Lord preserved his life because he was the man. There have been times in my life where I've said, Lord, I don't want to do that. But he's preserved me and it's happened. Because I'm the person he wants to do it. I don't always understand it. But I believe that's the kind of God we serve. He preserved this man named Jonah because he had a task for him. I want you to notice, secondly, the prophet's reservation was for three days and three nights. Typically, when, when there's a reservation, who makes it? You do, right? You make the reservation. I want to stay at Embassy Suites or Holiday Inn Express or wherever it is. You make that decision. You know what? The prophet didn't make the reservation. The Lord did. And do you realize this, that 800 years later, a book that's been scrutinized one side and down the other, the Lord Jesus quotes. I love that. Look what it says, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Oh, hold on a second. This same dude that was in the belly of the fish, that same dude. I mean, I've heard and read the arguments that this is just really a fish tale, so to speak. This really didn't happen. And the Lord said, I'll take care of that. Scripture proves Scripture. Guys, don't ever forget that phrase. Scripture proves Scripture. You don't have to make it up. Scripture will prove it. Stick to the book. It says here, And yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, which is just fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
John MacArthur, in commenting on this, wrote this. I think this is important. And we're actually going to come back to some of this when we get to chapter 3. He says, three days and three nights meant three days emphatically. And by Jewish reckoning would express aptly a period of time that included three days and whole or part. Quoting Jonah's length of stay in the belly of the fish not only solidified the authenticity of the prophet Jonah, but as well addressed what Christ would experience. (laughs) Right? Because Christ would experience that. And yet, Scripture clearly states the Lord himself talks about the prophet Jonah. He goes on to write, Thus, if Christ was crucified on a Friday, and if his reckoning and if his resurrection occurred on the first day of the week, Sunday, by Hebrew reckoning, this period corresponds to three days and three nights. More is spoken about that as we get to chapter 3 when Jonah finally goes to Nineveh and cries out against the wickedness, and we'll talk more about that in a few weeks together. But I want us to consider two or three things here about this last phrase in verse 17. The first one is this, the Lord was not done with the prophet. He wasn't done with the prophet. We've had a few, quite a few people, of our elderly people lately, um, who are stranded at home, so to speak. Can't get out. There's one lady I visit that is completely relying on other people to get out and do anything. And several months ago, her comment to me while I was visiting her was, Dad, I really want to feel a part of the body even though I can't come. Now, you don't know what that's like unless you visited somebody like that. You have no idea what that's like. And I didn't have any idea what it was like. Until I got into the ministry and over and over again running into those kind of people and them coming to the point where they were saying, how am I even useful? Can I tell you what we've done in the church that we ought to be ashamed of is throwing away our older generations. Please don't do that. They are very valuable. They have the wisdom that some of us sorely lack. They've been there and they've done that. And one of the things that um, the Lord put on my heart, because when I heard that, my heart was just breaking. I'm like, oh my goodness. But fortunately, I had been through that several other times, specifically with one other person that you're, you were all, a lot of you familiar with, and that was Nell Miner. And she got to the point where she was the same way. She was like, that, I just want to contribute to the body. She couldn't come. And so I provided a prayer list for her. And I guarantee you this, many of you she prayed for. Well, there's one now that's in the same condition and communicating the same thing. And I said, I'm going to provide for you a prayer list on a regular basis. And I'm going to tell you something. Some of you have been on that list. And I'm going to tell you something. I share with her what's going on. If you're sick, I share with her. If you're out of a job, I share with her. And you know what she does? She says, hey, Thad, did so-and-so get a job? Yeah, they did. 
I mean, I'm like, the Lord, right? He cares about His children, us. And until He takes us home, we're useful to the body. And so this person is continuing to minister even though they can't get out. The Lord was not done with the prophet, and so he wasn't going to die. The Lord wasn't done with him. Let's not forget those people, guys. This is a challenge on the side who are not amongst us in terms of being physically present, but who are part of this body. And if you want a list of those and how you can encourage them and practically do something to minister to them, uh, we have names and we have addresses. And if you're not sure, I'm going to tell you something. The list is long. I told the elders, in fact, last year, I can't keep up with them. I can't. It's just unbelievable. I could be going all the time just seeing those folks. The Lord was not done with the prophet. The second thing, there are reminders all through the Bible that the Lord of all creation is in control, which we've emphasized already. But the Lord was in control of the situation, not Jonah. It wasn't, Jonah didn't swim up to the fish and say, hey, here I am. It was the Lord that provided that fish for Jonah. He's in control of all things. The other point for our consideration this morning, the miracles in the Bible, which by the way, you say, where's the miracle? Him being in the belly three days and three nights, that's a miracle. Okay? If you're looking for it, there it is. The miracles in the Bible are designed to bring glory to God. This is very critical. Glory does not belong to man. It belongs to God. And by the way, the Lord is the one that gets glory. He's going to get his glory. The miracles in the Bible are designed to bring glory to God and remind the believer that he is so... You see there, the O got stuck there. He is so much greater than anyone or anything. By the way, I think that's a lifelong lesson. He is so much greater than anyone or anything. But the emphasis in that statement there is that the miracles are designed to bring glory to God. And I want to show you an example of that as we close our time together. I want you to go to the Gospel of John. I want you to see that. It is... Flat out stated that the miracles of God are designed to glorify the Lord. And so, as we read through Jonah, and we see miracle number one, right? It's designed to bring glory to God. Miracle number two, I'm going to give you a list in the next few weeks of the miracles in Jonah. There are several. But the miracles in the Bible are designed to bring glory to God. In John chapter 2... There's a miracle at the wedding feast of Cana. Jonah chap, I mean, John chapter uh, 2, verse 1. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited, and his disciples, to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, why did she say that to him? She knew who he was, and she knew what he could do. 
Verse 4, And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. By the way, if you want just an introduction to next week's sermon, it's verse 4 of John 2. It's Mother's Day next week. If you have not remembered that, it's your reminder. That verse is so misunderstood. We're going to clear that up next week. He says, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. And the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when men have drunk freely, then that which is poor, you have kept good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now when you read that first miracle, the question is, why did Jesus turn water to wine? Why did he do it? Years ago I was sitting in a seminary class at Southeastern when they were doing, um, they were working with Dallas Seminary some, and um, we had professors there that uh, were graduates of Southeastern as well and went to seminary. One of my seminary professors was going through this miracle, and he was, teach, he was teaching us um, to study uh, miracles and parables and to be able to teach those. And there's probably 15 to 20 of us in the class. All of us um, were in the ministry at the time, whether missionaries or pastors. And we're sitting in the room, and it's a pretty relaxed setting. And he says, gentlemen, why did Jesus turn water to wine? How many of you are bashful? You're like, yeah. Well, I'm one of those guys that when I was in the classroom, I pretty much, until the last few years, I talk more now, but I would just kind of cross my arms and be like, I hope he doesn't call on me. And all, listen, they had a bunch of smart guys in there. And they're giving all these answers. And the professor was like, no. 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 I'm like, oh my goodness, what is the answer? And I'm reading through it as these guys are answering, going, man, he's saying no to that and that and that. And I begin to read verse 11, which says, This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. I was a little timid, but I raised my hand. And I said, okay, this is what I got. I only have what the text says. Why did he turn water to wine? To manifest his glory. 
And I was like, you know, just kind of silent. And he said, that's right. And I was like, praise you, Lord. I don't tell you that because I had the right answer. I tell you that because as we started the service this morning, when I first got up here to teach this lesson this morning, I started with Theodore Epp. And the reason I did that is because that man trusted the Lord and he started a ministry that has had literally worldwide impact all because he was committed to the Word of God, to study it and to tell others about it. And guys, listen to me. That's what I want for every single one of us. You know, we are so reliant on teachers, and teachers have their spots. But do you know if the Spirit of God indwells you, if you're a born-again believer, your teacher is the Holy Spirit. He's the primary teacher. And he gives us his word in order that we might swallow it whole so that we're able to deal with the issues that rise in our lives. So as we continue our journey, our next uh, series in the book of Jonah is on the prayer of Jonah. And we'll get to that in a couple of weeks, but next week we're going to look at the gospel of John in that particular verse and try to unpackage, hey, what was Jesus saying to his mother? Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you so much for your word and Thank you that um, we have the privilege to be able to study it. And Lord, as we look at this story of Jonah, which um, you even spoke about, um, there's so much to consider here. Maybe we come to the end of chapter 1 and we're expecting your discipline, but what we see is your grace and your mercy. You weren't done with your prophet. We're never really going to understand everything there is to know because we're only given a little amount here about Jonah. But Lord, there's so many lessons for us as we read and study through this about this prophet, this man who you separated out, who you gave a specific task to, who, who ran the other way. And Lord, we at times are guilty of running the other way. Help us by your spirit to be obedient. And there are times in our lives, Lord, where we feel like we're being swallowed up by problems and events in our lives. Lord, you were present with Jonah in the belly of that fish. He, the only re reason he survived was you. That's it. It's all we have. We know that, Lord. And I pray that for us, as we read through a story like this, that we would recognize that you are like no other. It would remind us of that. The only way he survived in the belly of that fish was because of you. And Lord, the only reason that we take our next breath is because of you. 
And so I pray you would help us never to forget those things. Very, very important. As we go out into the world, as we have opportunities to, to witness for you, as we're in the body itself, we want you to get all the glory and all the praise because you're the only one that's do that. That's emphasized in the book of Revelation. You're the only one deserving of glory and honor. And so I pray that our lives are not about ourselves, but Lord, that our lives are about you and that we would walk in obedience to you so that you are glorified and that you're honored. Thank you for examples like Jonah that remind us of your grace and your mercy and your compassion. Lord, help us to walk by your spirit so that we might be obedient to the things that you've called us to do. Thank you for examples like Theodore Epp who stepped out by faith and literally with very little money, Lord, you were the one that provided so that your gospel could go literally around the world. And So thank you for those reminders. Help us never to forget that you're on the throne and you're the only one on the throne. And all these things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. This last song says, um, Who is worthy? None beside thee. God Almighty, the great I am. So let's all stand as we close out singing.
you guys. Thank you, Kevin, for being led by the Spirit there. Um, I was thinking about uh, you guys, and the Lord just put it on my heart as I was down there. And I asked Bruce to close in prayer, and then the Lord put something in my heart, and I leaned back over and said, i, I, I got to say something. So he said, that's okay, brother. Um, you know, one of the things that's most difficult to measure at times, and I was thinking about this as I was teaching and as we were singing these songs today, is how are you really doing with the Lord? You know, because sometimes activity for people can equate to maturity. But activity doesn't necessarily equate to maturity. In fact, I would say this, that maturity in Christ is measured by one's desire for Christ. It's that simple. What's the desire, the level of desire for Christ? I was talking to Corey and Megan. They won't mind me sharing this. I was talking to Corey and Megan last night on the way home from playing in the golf tournament and they were going to the shrimp basket. It's one of my favorite places to go. I didn't invite myself, I almost did. Teresa was coming back from out of town so I thought, uh, we had a little pork but I didn't eat a whole lot. I could probably eat some of that. But when we are going to eat at some of our favorite places, that desire, right? You ever been like, I mean, you're almost like... This sounds awful, but slobber's coming out of your mouth. You're ready to have the food. I know it's kind of a gross picture, but I was thinking, you know, Lord, as much desire as I have at times for things that aren't lasting, man, that's the kind of desire I need for you. And so I just want to encourage you guys um, about that. And that we as a church would be committed to the study of the Word of God. You know, Paul told Timothy, be diligent to be a student of the Word of God. Right? And I believe it's important, although in the context of there, he's talking to a guy who's pastoring the Ephesian church. The cause for all of us to be intimately acquainted with our Lord in all our ways. And so I want to encourage you guys as a body to stay plugged in to the Word of God, to the power source. Let Him be the one that guides us and leads us. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you before we left this morning. So why don't we bow together. So Lord, um, we would admit that um, we need You. I trust that's what we would say. We need You every hour of every day. Lord, it's apparent in the story that we're reading and studying that Jonah kind of tossed that to the side, made a bad choice. And yet, Lord, through all that, you're continuing to work. And there are times in our lives as believers that we make bad choices, bad decisions, but you're still working. You're still working out your purposes And quite honestly, the older I get, I don't understand all that. But I believe it because I believe in you. And I believe what you do. 
And Lord, your ways at times are past finding out. But you have given us your revelation. And you've given us your spirit for those of us who belong to you. Help us to be submissive to your spirit as we walk each day. And can we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for the letter that you've given us that we might be able to study it and to know you better. You are truly a loving and gracious and merciful and compassionate and just God and more. Thank you so much for who you are. No one can stand against you. Thank you for the victory. I was reminded of that song, Victory in Jesus. There is truly victory in Jesus every day that we live as believers. Help us to be controlled and guided by your spirit today as we walk out into the world and we come into various situations. Help us to be bold witnesses for you. And all this we pray in the gracious and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.